Unbound Theatre presents The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier The Cottage on the Moor Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson Chapter 10. The Archive. Home. When the light faded, the professor found herself standing on Atwell Street, or rather an approximation of it assembled by the archive. The tall townhouses around her were accurate enough, but she could not shake the feeling of standing in an elaborate photographic study, a sense of the uncanny hanging around the street. Sure enough, as she scanned the buildings, she could see reams of semi-transparent words projected across each one. They were scrolling upwards at an alarming rate, though she quickly realised that when she focused in on a particular floating paragraph, it slowed to allow her to read it. Each one was a database documenting the domicile and its inhabitants. She recognised the neighbours who had glared at her when they passed on the street, the boisterous noises that documented the development of her time machine having tainted neighbourhood relations. At last she came to number 26, her home. She beamed at the sight of the weather-beaten front door with its peeling paint and watched as the floating documentation appeared over it, scrolling slowly. Eventually it settled upon the words, Occupant, Professor Elizabeth Chronomier, and an image of her appeared. It had been taken some years before she had perfected her timeship. She recognised it as a record of a trip she had taken to the Alps some decade beforehand. Beneath the image a list of words appeared. Key information, early life, achievements, and then, below that, disappearance. She frowned at this last heading, and the narrowing of her eyes seemed to make it glow. More words began to fade over the list, about to reveal, she supposed, the details of this supposed vanishing. Quickly she lifted her eyes to the top of the list, and the words early life glowed brighter. In a flash, she had been transported to another fabricated location. It was her school. The scene revolved around her as she watched children she had known running across the playground together. Then the image expanded, zooming in on one of the school buildings, and she found herself in the headmaster's office. She could see herself sat in the corner, nursing an injured hand. Beside her stood two men, yelling at one another and threatening to come to blows. One was Captain Entwistle, the head of the school. She gasped at the sight of the other man. He was tall and muscular, dressed in clothes spotted with patches and repairs, and bearing a face marked with more than one scar. In his hand he held a familiar broad-brimmed hat. Father, she said quietly. The scene skipped along to show the man escorting her younger self from the office, Captain Entwistle's face awash with incredulity. Then the location reformed itself once again, and the professor found herself back at number 26 Atwell Street, inside this time, in the room that in her adulthood she had taken as her laboratory, but in childhood had been her father's study. The walls were lined with books, and on a desk in the centre of the room heavy tomes lay open revealing pictures of different flowers and leaves. There she was, a young girl, 
listening intently as her father expounded on the beauty and complexity of the flora depicted in the book, and pacing around the room excitedly, his face glowing with enthusiasm. And then they were out in the open air, her father in his beaten hat scaling the side of a steep hill with his daughter clinging to his back. They were singing and laughing together, heading towards the peak. Another flash, and they were there, crouched over a delicate flower on the top of the hill, a shared sense of awe on their faces. Then Atwell Street returned, a different room this time. It was a bedroom, filled with the most wonderful tokens of all manner of travels and expeditions. In the bed lay a woman with unruly brown hair and dazzling green eyes. The professor smiled sadly. Her younger self was sitting on the bed, showing her mother the precious flower she and her father had tracked down. Her father was once again pacing the room like a giddy child himself, recounting the expedition. Her mother would laugh at his embellishments and tall tales. Then, gradually, the laughter turned to coughing. The room evolved, different exotic objects coming and going, her father eagerly poring over volumes of text, his daughter by his side. And then she could see Runcible, her father's partner in exploration, helping them to plan all manner of ventures. She watched herself growing into a young woman, joining her father in his exploits. And then, like the turning of a page, she was alone. The professor walked slowly around the laboratory to regard her younger self, the sole inhabitant of number 26. The grief in her counterpart's face brought fresh tears to the professor's eyes, but still she watched. The younger Cronomier held in her hand the battered hat her father had worn. She ran her fingers over the band, and then looked over at his desk, on which a map of the stars had been abandoned. Go, the professor whispered to her younger self. For the love of it all, go. The younger professor placed her father's hat on her head, and smiled through her tears. Again, Atwell Street shifted and changed as more years passed. She saw herself and Runcible charting more adventures, the old man bringing more and more maps for her to examine. Gradually time sped on, and the study became her laboratory, as all manner of extraordinary equipment sprouted up on the desk and workbenches. A raft of complex and unfathomable inventions took place amid showers of sparks and clouds of smoke born of bubbling flasks filled with brightly coloured liquids. And then, at one end of the room, it began to take shape the shell of her time machine. Its framework almost grew out of the ground, the familiar brass pillars sprouting the curved copper blades. The wooden control panels appeared, spilling a vast torrent of wires onto the floor. The professor watched herself busily making alterations to the machine, and then felt a cold chill on her neck. Knowing what was to come, she turned on the spot to the other end of the room. The archive slowed, and she watched herself stood at one of the workbenches before a primitive version of the gyroscope hourglass which sat at the top of the time machine. Something extraordinary was happening, but the professor was not looking at the invention. Beside her younger self, there was a shadow, humanoid in shape, like a silhouette cast upon the air. It moved in tandem with the professor, tending the experiment. Suddenly the room was drenched in red light, this was not part of the memory. The professor watched as the words archive error appeared across the scene, and the image shuddered. Ignoring this, 
She narrowed her eyes to focus on the shadow, urging the archive to delve further. More words of warning appeared. Still the professor narrowed her gaze. The hourglass erupted into life, and the shadow contorted in a paroxysm of agony before expanding to fill the whole room. The professor found herself in a tunnel, not unlike the vortex through which her timeship sailed. Only this one was darker. It reminded her of the forest path in fairy tales that wise women warned young girls not to tread upon. All around her, flashes of images sparked into existence and then faded. There was a face in them she recognised. It's you! She called over the rushing of air that filled the tunnel. Please, please tell me, where are you? More and more images flashed momentarily before her, the same face screaming in pain. She tried to focus in on them, and each time she pinpointed one, it would expand as though about to reveal a memory like those of Atwell Street, but instead each one returned her to the dark whirlpool. A voice rose from the tempest. Help me! Elizabeth, please! Save me! Please! Liza! Hearing the voice again rendered the professor speechless. She tried to reach out and touch the fractured images swirling all around her. Each one would expand at her fingertips, then crackle and fade. Through some she thought she could see landscapes, desolate hills, withered trees, the remains of ancient settlements succumbing to the ravages of time. And in each of them, calling out in pain and fear, was that face. Her face. She was calling to her, but she was lost. You must, must be, be somewhere! somewhere the professor panted as the dark tunnel around her grew more tumultuous. One of these places must be where you are. One last image emerged from the walls of the vortex. It looked like a courtroom steeped in crimson light. She searched through every inch of the picture, but there was no sign. Gradually it began to dissolve into darkness. Come on, the professor growled. There has to be more. There has to be something. A different voice filled the whirlpool. It was another known to her, only male this time. Isn't there a story you'd like to change? It asked. Someone you'd do anything to save? The face of a man she'd wished never to see again bled into the vortex. A man who'd tried to rip history apart for his own selfish ends. Not you, the professor snarled. Did you do this? Is this your foul work? Where is she? The face began to laugh. Where is she? Another eruption of light threw her from the vortex. The words Archive Restored appeared before her. She began to feel weak, as though the toll of searching the archive had drained her. The scene around her settled to reveal Astrid sat alone in a grimy room in the ruins of a stone building. She was huddled in a corner, hands clasping her knees and her face buried from view. Astrid? the professor called and to her surprise the young girl looked up, an expression of shock on her face. Prof? You... you can see me, dear heart? Yes! Yes, I can see you! Where are you? That's a bit of a winding story. Where are you? I, I don't know. I woke up here. Them scavengers. They need me for something. She said... Before Astrid could finish, the image surrounding the professor changed again, and she let out an exasperating cry her bones beginning to ache and her head becoming numb by the exertion of interacting with the archive's interface. Then she realised where the archive had now taken her. 
She was in the laboratory of the cottage. Before her stood Evie and Bill. Bill was shouting at someone behind her. If you think I'm going to hand it over now, you're as big a fool as I always thought. These were the words she had heard before the murder. This was the confrontation she had only part witnessed the night before. She turned on the spot to follow Bill's angry gaze and found Lorelei standing before the gateway. The sound of the argument melted away and the room began to spin, darkness enveloping the scene. The professor felt nausea washing over her. She could not stop the recreation of the previous evening from fading away. The last thing she heard was the gunshot, and then everything stopped. The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier The Cottage on the Moor An Unbound Theatre Production Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson, with music by Kevin MacLeod. <laughs> <laughs>